What happens when two parent coaches, one a Christian and the other an agnostic Jew, sit down to talk about parenting? I'm Dina Thayer. And I'm Kira Dorian. Welcome to Raising Adults, a podcast about future-focused parenting. Hi, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. We just wanted to say a huge thank you to our listeners. We're kind of rounding out the season now. We've got a couple more episodes. Our final episode, we told you before, was going to be at the end of May. We were wrong. Our final episode is the first Monday in June. Correct. And then we will be taking some time off until after Independence Day here in the States. And so today we are going to talk about health and nutrition And how do we foster good habits in this area with our children? What are some things that we've seen are working or have worked in Dina's case? And what are some things maybe that I wish I'd done differently? Let's be honest. Uh, (laughs) We all know I have chicken nugget children. Uh, So, um, so Dina, do you want to start? Sure. Yeah, I have a pretty interesting why on this one, and it was to do with my own childhood. I actually had great body image growing up. But I did not eat healthy. And it was just that was just very much the culture. I do not at all blame my parents. It wasn't like they were proponents of junk food. I always had really healthy dinners and I was in sports and and all of that. But it was just I mean, I remember eating some ding dongs. I'm not gonna lie. Pop I mean, it was tarts. the 80s. It Come was on. totally Cheeto time, you know? Do you remember the ninja turtle pies? No. They were like these little pastry things and inside kind of like a cherry pie uh-huh. but inside was like green pudding no way oh yeah okay i don't remember that but i do remember those hostess pies <laughs> i mean i just remember a lot of junk and i survived and i didn't ever feel shamed about that or cuz i was active and busy and it was fine but i did have a friend a close friend who was anorexic mm. and so i watched what can happen when there's too much focus on what's healthy and and this gal was from a family that really emphasized it and so it really really kind of brought home for me even as a young I was maybe in middle school just wow so there is a way you can go too far the other way because I knew I was eating junk and it was fine because I go to sports 87 times and whatever but what I saw was wow some families who care about that I wonder if that can go I remember having questions about it I wonder if that can go too far then and again those are the kind of anxiety disorders that are certainly not a parenting mistake's fault. You know, it's not, oh, something you did or didn't do necessarily. But it I just remember thinking about that even at a young age. And also, I'll be honest, as a young lady who was a gymnast, I was in a sport that very much focused on your body and your physique. And I was told more times than I can count that I was too tall to be a gymnast and that I wasn't petite enough. And I will have to say, never by my own coach. She was amazing and affirming and wonderful, but I heard it a lot because I wasn't four foot nine and 80 pounds. That just was not ever me. But so my why came a lot from those younger years. And then as I went into parenting, I was like, okay, so I actually have an opinion about this now. And I will be honest, I did not steer my kids toward gymnastics. I let them do it recreationally, but I never encouraged or, hey, do you want to try out for the team? Nope. And I'll be honest, that was on purpose. And I also have tried to talk a lot about healthy food, but never as it relates to how you'll look. And the other thing I was very careful about was not, oh, you look skinny, but things like, don't you feel great when you exercise because you feel so strong? So my vocabulary was very important to me. And that could be because I'm a word nerd anyway. But I'm just saying for me, 
a lot of times our listeners will hear me talk about communication, but I think it's huge. And the kind of vocabulary we use around our children matters. And so I was careful with my words because of what had happened when I was growing up and the sport I was in and all of that. So that was long-winded. I took a turn being long-winded hey, today, but welcome to my hopefully world. it made sense. <laughs> I think it did. And I actually totally agree with you, and I'm not a word nerd. The vocabulary was huge and continues to be huge for us. Um, my why is that I have had a weight problem since I was six. And my mom always had a weight problem since I was born. And I think there's so much in this conversation that's about modeling. Because I remember being eight years old, my mom was always on a diet. And I was eight years old. And I said, can I do it with you? And she said, sure. And I went on a diet at eight years old. And it was just totally modeled for me you know, this is what you do. It's important to be thin. We care how – and it's not like she cared how I looked. She didn't say you need to go on a mm-hmm. diet, but she cared about how she looked and was constantly shame, body shaming herself, and that was just super modeled for me. And then you combine that with being a child actor. Oh. And, I mean, I cannot tell you the years of therapy that it has taken to even begin to unpack being a child actor and having – You know, parents say to their kids all the time, don't care what people think about you. It doesn't matter what people think about you. That is an industry where it 100% matters what people think about you. And whether you get the job or not is 100% dependent on what they think about you. And half of what they have to think about you is how you look. How do you look? Do you look like the other character Mm -hmm. that's supposed to be your sister? Do you look right height-wise, which was always an issue for me because I'm I'm not 4 foot 9, but I'm 4 foot 11 and a half. So – the it was so much about looks even when it wasn't about weight it was so much about looks and so much about actually having to care what other people think you combine those two things oh my goodness that's a recipe for disaster for sure so i, I was when i had my own kids i was really aware that i did not want just like you said i didn't want it to be a thing and so really i mean they're seven and a half years old i don't think we've ever had a conversation about weight. And I remember when they were babies, I made some comment about my own body in front of a friend of mine. And she just in this offhand, loving, no big deal way, just said, you know, I wonder like if they hear you say that about yourself, how it forms their own opinions about what they should think about their bodies. And I was like, you know, Mm. and I never said it again. And I talked to Dave. I was like, we will never body shame in front of them. And when they ask about, you know, like my stomach, which is changed from having two babies in there. (laughs) What a great um, euphemism. Yeah, it's changed. Different. Um, I lie and tell them all the wonderful things I love about my stomach because it grew them. And isn't it amazing how the body is able to change in order to bring human beings into the world? Blah, blah, blah. Um, Because I want the messages over and over and over again to be amazing, healthy. You have a question. I have a question. question. I love it because when nobody can see that I'm raising my hand. But is that a lie? I mean, if they no. had asked you point blank, do you like your stomach? And you said, yes, maybe it would be a lie. Yeah. But do you not believe oh, no, all those totally... great things? You grew a person. I grew two okay, people. Okay, okay. No, that's clarify. a really good point. And I appreciate you bringing it up. You grew two people. I grew two people at the same time. Do you think it's super cool that like as women, this is a total sidebar, but it always makes me laugh. Like, I love it that I had a boy because like I grew a penis. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I just think that's cool. It's pretty amazing. All right. Yeah. That's, no more penis envy for you. Like, I've grown one. I, I, I've been there. Um, yeah, so I think that 
I wanted the messages to always be. I used a lot of the same vocabulary. Strong. Um, boy, your body's so amazing. It's so healthy. And the one conversation we had, this was really recent, um, Rhiannon said to me, Mommy, am I thin? And I was so glad that I do the questioning thing because I said, why do you ask? And she is. She's super tiny. She I mean, is. But it was like you. I didn't – even though she is perfectly healthy and gorgeous, gorgeous body – I never wanted it to be like, you're so thin and beautiful. Your body's so gorgeous. I just didn't want to make it a thing. So I said, why did why do you ask? And she said, well, someone at school said that if you can if you can feel your ribs, you're thin and I can feel my ribs. And I was so glad that I asked because it was a totally different question than mm-hmm. I thought, right? So worthwhile to check in sometimes with what they're actually asking. Yeah. And so I said, well, to me, sweetheart, your body is perfect for you. You have exactly the body that you're supposed to have. It's beautiful and healthy and strong and she was like okay and that was moved on that was that Mm -hmm. but then it did uh, like later I think something came up about um, someone who was overweight and she even said something like you know but I love that their body is theirs and it's just right for them and I was Mm -hmm. like yep and that's kind of the message that I wanted to send over and over again but then it for me it was this like you know like how do I unpack my own stuff around this my worries and fears for them um, make choices that are good for them um and also just yeah i mean it's a tough it's a really tough topic and then i also have this this is like a weird i guess we're doing weird side notes today but <laughs> i have this funny theory so you know they not all of our listeners may know this but girl babies i know you know this but girl babies grow all their um eggs mm-hmm. at about four months in utero they have all yep. their so basically you're when you have a girl baby in your belly, you also have your grandbabies in your yeah. belly. My mom was the firstborn in her family, and she was um, grown in a refugee camp after the Holocaust in a malnourished body, which means I was in mm-hmm. a malnourished body. And I've always wondered if that's what gave us a predisposition to being overweight. Mm. Because I'm one of those people that, like, I literally have to be hungry to be at a healthy weight. And I don't eat badly. I just have a predisposition and a bad metabolism. Mm-hmm. I mean, I could maybe eat a few different things. Don't get me wrong. I'm not, like, releasing myself of responsibility. But there is a predisposition in our family for this. And I do wonder how both my mother and I mm. being conceived and grown in this completely depleted, malnourished body uh, maybe affected things. Yeah. Just an interesting it is. fun fact. <laughs> <laughs> Not quite as horrid as mine, but hey, yours at least was very interesting. I just was being silly. No, that's really true. And I think so how we talk around this, I think we both now have hit on that, is really a big deal. And and then you can also follow that up, though, I think, with some practical things. And it, it doesn't mean I, I really wanted to be careful. And I'm going to say this. I'm outing myself. I'm careful about this with my children because I'm bad at it which is I tend to categorize, at least in my mind, and sometimes I have fallen off and said it out loud. I mean, there's a lot of things on this episode I'm going to have to say this is where I've done poorly. But I tend to categorize foods as good or bad. Mm. And even when I don't always say that, I'm sure thinking it, oh, that's bad. I shouldn't have that. Or that's in the good realm, so it's okay. And so I think one of the areas I tried to be careful. And I'm saying as they've gotten older, I've gotten worse because I think it's easy to be like, well, now they're old enough to put on their own filter or whatever. <laughs> so I'm not always great at this now, just being totally honest, but is not 
saying a certain kind of food or a category of food is just inherently bad. Let's not like food shame because there's a place, I think, almost for for almost every food. Now, some foods are just like they really are. You're eating a package of chemicals or drinking a bottle of chemicals. Like we can just be honest about that. But also sometimes those just bring you pleasure. And I don't think that's even bad to sometimes just have a treat. Mm -hmm. So I tried to be careful about not bad foods, good foods, although saying privately, but not so privately to everyone listening. I'm terrible at that. Well, I totally think of things as good and bad. I love at my kids school, they talk about um, sometimes foods. Oh, yeah. And all the time foods Mm -hmm. and special foods. So it's like, you know, the all the time foods, fruits, vegetables, protein, blah, blah, blah. Sometimes foods, ice cream, you know, and then like special treat is like a candy, yeah. you know, something. Because even in ice cream, there's like some protein, yes, and, you know. Or there's, you know, dairy products mm-hmm. in it. But, you know, bright orange Doritos. Maybe that's a once in a while. Yeah. Maybe that's Probably a not natural. special treat <laughs> Yeah, food. it's a special, special occasion. Um, so, yeah, we we definitely stayed away from that. And we also, we talk a lot. I mean, my kids are super picky eaters, and this is a an area not of strength in our family. But when I was sitting down to think about this episode, I was like, you know, there are quite a few things that we're doing well around this. Tell us. Well, what are some things you think are going well? Here's what's going well. My kids only drink water. They have always only drunk water. And they're seven. Yeah. So let's just take a moment for that. Yeah. Like, they had their first amazing. sip of soda this year. And now Dave and I don't really drink it. Mm-hmm. So that was a choice we made not mm-hmm. to really have it in the house because we didn't want them to drink it. Reese does get a small glass of orange juice in the morning because he had a dairy sensitivity for a long time, and that was how we got calcium. Um, but other than that, I mean, it's just there's not even a question. Water, water, sometimes bubble water. Um, and they just – it's that's just what we drink. It's not even a question. A juice box is a treat. And mm-hmm. they actually know if they've had a juice box, there's no dessert tonight. Like, mm-hmm. that's their treat. Mm-hmm. Um, and then with regard to treats, we also have really kind of talked about that even treats aren't something you do every day. So some days we have dessert. Sometimes they'll say, oh, can we can we have a treat after dinner? And I'll say, well, did, we, did you have one yesterday? And they say, yeah. And I say, yeah, let's skip today. We don't need mm-hmm. one every day. Well, because right by its very nature, it quits being a treat if it happens all the time. Exactly. Then it's not a special treat. Right. Exactly. So that's been really good. And then the third thing I think we've done really well is we have always had them in a physical activity. So the rule has always been, um, yeah, I'll totally take you to acting classes, but you have to also pick a physical activity. And I think this is an area where Dave and I would agree this is probably where we fell down the most as kids was neither of us were physically active. Hmm. Um, And it wasn't really important in either of our families that we be physically active. And I will share a little tidbit that I got off my sister-in-law, who's a doctor. She said that by age seven – Children have either received a message or not received a message that exercise happens in a routine. And so if you have not set up some kind of regular physical activity for your kids where they get the message that, like, on this day and this day I'm physically active, Mm -hmm. it is much harder for them to learn that as they get older into adulthood. That's really interesting, especially because there there was a i think a pretty long season recently in recent decades of kids being in lots of activities and then there's been kind of a push back and now let's get them really unscheduled mm-hmm. so what an interesting case to make for hey if you're going to schedule something at least have it be it like a sport or something physical and i love that you said you kind of do both cuz we do the same thing i've always had this requirement you can do one not can, but you're going to do one kind of fine artsy type thing and one athletic thing. And that's just always been the deal in our house. And I will say until recently, I've come away from that as they've gone into high school and you start to see them develop a real affinity for certain activities. And I think, okay, well then 
I know they're active and maybe I can let them enjoy this one year round and not have to combine it with other things. But I will say, in all honesty, even right at this moment, so far, neither of them have, neither of my biological kids have ever done just one or the other. They've always done both because that's always kind of been the thing. So it's interesting that you do that too. Yeah. Well, and my sister-in-law was also really clear. It doesn't have to be a sport. It can be we ride bikes on Tuesdays and yes, Thursdays. It can be things you do with your family. Oh, yeah. Totally. Sure. She said Go it's, on it's, a walk. It's more about the, the message of physical activity is something that happens in these regular, consistent intervals. They're mm-hmm. more likely to then when they get older, be physically active in regularly consistent intervals. You just made me realize there is something I'm doing well. In all the things that I don't do well, like calling foods bad, and I know my kids have caught me saying something not nice about my body more than once, is that I exercise every day except Sundays. And my kids know that. They know it's why I get up at oh dark 30. All the children in our house know just at I'm going to get up and I'm going to do a workout. And they kind of make fun of me because I go to bed early as a result because I get up early. But I have literally said to them, well, even though I'm, well, actually not even though, especially because I'm now in my 40s and I'm getting older and my metabolism is slowing down. It's more important than ever that I keep taking good care of my body and I want to stay strong and I want to stay healthy and I want to be around for a long time. And so hooray, because I was, the more we got into this, I was like, gosh, I'm really not doing any of this well right now. But I do model consistent exercise. Well, that's fantastic. So there's that. Well, and I think we also talk, and I'm sure you've had this conversation with your kids, so I'm sure you're doing this well too. But um, we talk with our kids a lot about the way food affects your body. So like we try and encourage them when they have a plate of food. Um, you know, you really want to like get the nutrients from the fruit and vegetables in there first so that when if you get full – you filled up on the things that are really nutritious for your body, then you want to move on to protein. You know, and of course they go back and forth. We're not like regimented about Mm -hmm. it, but it's like if you have to pick something to focus on, I want you to start with your fruit and vegetables, move on to your protein, and then you can get to your carbohydrates, Mm -hmm. you know, if you you have room. Um, And so kind of just really thinking about like how does food, why do we eat food, and what's the difference between filling up on an apple and filling up on, you know, a bag of candy, how do they influence your body and how does that make your body get what it needs? And there's been a lot of conversations around that. Oh, totally. Because really food is fuel. And so are you giving your body fuel that's going to be helpful or is going to just maybe give you a spike and then cause you to crash? I mean, so that's really smart that you're talking about that. The reason I was giggling, it was not that what you said was funny. What you said was smart and right on. It's that this is another time where that very much depends on the child. Because I used to have to tell the kids, make sure you eat your main thing first, because I would sometimes have lunches coming home. I'm still getting the sandwich home and the fruit. Everything else is gone. I was like, hmm, interesting. But the other thing is, especially if you're still the one packing the lunch, then you can decide not to send those things if that's not going well. But I just think it's interesting because now I have a daughter who's a vegan and so super picky pants, but also very particular about what she and most of what she's eating then is pretty healthy. But here's the thing beer is vegan, french fries are vegan. You can be vegan and be super unhealthy. So I think also one of the things we've talked about is not assuming one particular lifestyle is necessarily inherently, oh, that's so good for you. You can find junk food that's paleo, that's vegan, that's keto, that's whatever. Just like you could also be a person who maybe really needs carbs to feel good because you have maybe a a thyroid issue or an adrenal problem, but you're choosing really positive foods and grains and you're you're maybe healthier than this vegan over here. So it's it's an interesting ongoing conversation but it just makes me chuckle because kids will sometimes try to find those ways around it and you'll have to in your own family figure out okay then how do we 
help them stay within the boundaries, even if it means, okay, maybe for a while we see this isn't working out. I can't send these things because you're choosing to eat that and not the things that are good fuel for your body. Well, it's funny you should say that because, you know, I've talked about on the podcast before that my kids are really, really picky. I mean, they really have like eight foods that That they they like. Like Reese just started eating pizza and this was a massive celebration in our house that like everyone eats pizza. Like we celebrated pizza. And so he actually didn't enjoy it. It wasn't just because of the dairy. No, he didn't like it. And so we couldn't even have a family pizza night. Um, so, so it was like we've Sienna added a, like we've either. added a food we've added pizza but my point is that you know I've talked about the fact that they're very picky and I would say that if you like actually looked at the nutritional breakdown of what they eat they do okay they just eat the same things for the over meat. and over yeah. yeah and they really don't eat vegetables at all they eat carrots that's it saying that the other day they were in the car and um, one of them said to me you know so and so at school gets a treat every day in their lunchbox. Can we do that? And I said, well, you know, the problem is I bet that so-and-so also eats a lot more foods than you do and is getting their nutrition every single day. Their body's getting everything they need. And so their mom probably feels really comfortable letting them have a little treat every day at school. I said, I don't feel comfortable with that because I know that it's really hard to get you to meet your nutritional needs every day. Mm. And guess what? Guess who started trying some new foods? What? My children. It was like, and I'm sure, I, I mean, I don't want to get up here and be like, and my motivational speech really worked. You won no, the day. They wanted the candy. Let's be honest. Let's be they were real. like, this is what I have to do to get the candy. But the point is the message that I was sending wasn't that's going to make you fat mm-hmm. or no, you can't because we are a healthy family. It was the the natural consequences of, well, right now. I'm more concerned about meeting your nutritional needs, but when you show me that you can meet your nutritional needs, then we can talk about this. Well, this reminds me of how we talk about naming the positive of the virtue and not the negative of the vice of the vice. I'd like to see your walking feet rather than don't run. So this is the same kind of thing. You didn't shame the candy or shame them. You just said what was good about these other foods and why that mom was probably comfortable providing this fun treat. So it's it's so much, again, kind of goes back to the communication and the language around it. It's not, oh, the candy's bad or you're bad. It's, oh, well, these other things are great. And I would imagine they're probably getting those. Mm-hmm. And we don't even know that that's true, but it worked out pretty well for you. It sure did. And then it was funny because my, my kids um, see my dad every Sunday morning. And he said that, um, we, I can't remember what we were doing. We were doing something. Oh, it was the big Easter egg hunt. Uh-huh. And um, so he offered Rhiannon some hot chocolate at breakfast and said, would you like a special treat? Would you like some hot chocolate? And she said, no, Poppy, we're doing the Easter egg hunt this afternoon and I know I'm going to have some candy there. So I, I would prefer not to. And he texted me and was like, I can't believe she just said this to me. And I was so proud. It was like, okay, they they are getting this message mm-hmm. in a good, positive way. Well, and the thing is what happened there is ultimately what kind of all of parenting is about is you're teaching them to be their own regulators because we aren't always going to be there to say you can have this but not that or here's the boundary over here eventually they have to have that internally to make those decisions so we aren't teaching our kids what to think when we're parenting we're teaching them how to think how to decision make and she had already learned at seven enough to know oh i know a treat is coming later i'm going to not choose to have two because here's the other thing We talk a lot about character traits. That's also an integrity thing. You might not have known about the hot chocolate. She could have chosen to have two treats and didn't. So there's been some amazing teaching there already of self-regulation, which is, I almost feel like the main point of parenting is for them to be their own filter. Yeah. It's huge. I feel, I feel, I was really proud of her. You should be. That's really incredible. Yeah. 
So one other just practical thing that I think can be helpful with, but you do have to be careful as with anything that it doesn't become legalistic or obsessive because I think almost anything can go too far, right? You can have a really positive thing that goes in the ditch if you do it too much. But I really like that I've taught my kids to be label readers. Now that they're old enough to read the labels on foods, we talk about that kind of thing. And I I really didn't do this until I was an adult. I'll be honest. I just picked the foods I liked. And now I've learned to look for things, especially sugar. We talk about if it's in the first five ingredients, that's probably not a food we're going to bring home. Processed foods, things like that. So I think that makes you an informed consumer. Of course, people can go too far. And oh, if there's one thing I can't pronounce, the food is the devil, whatever. I'm not suggesting that. But I'm suggesting even as you train your children to eventually be shoppers, they're going to learn things like coupons and bargain shopping and how do you choose what's a good deal and we talked a little bit about this even in the consumerism episode but also how do you be an informed consumer around your own nutrition and what you put in your body it is wise to read what is in the food because that's going to go in your body and i think there can be even some truth to the long things you can't pronounce if you don't know what it is does your body what's it going to do with it so we talked about that even when they were small but i wasn't much of a label reader i'm just Again, I was all over the place today. Here's where I was wrong. Here was where I was wrong. But I wasn't good at this. And so I think that can be a positive thing too, again, as long as you don't carry it into crazy land. But just knowing what's in your food and teaching kids to look at that stuff. And then as you grow up and shop, make sure you're aware of the ingredients you're consuming. Yeah, I, I really love that. I think that is so important. And it reminds me of something else I was going to say, which is that the one thing we've been really strong about in our house is, especially once my mom got sick, was eating foods that are non-toxic. So no high fructose corn syrup, no E numbers, trying to go organic when we can. But what I will say is we treat it a lot like we treat um, our screen time. So that's how we eat at home. Mm -hmm. And when we go out for dinner or if we're at a party, whatever. You want the chips? Have the chips. You want a juice box? It doesn't have to be an Honest Company juice box. It can be Minute Maid. That's mm -hmm. fine, right? So that it's about what are we doing regularly at home and then where is that flexibility so that we don't get so rigid. That's so true. Um, and the other thing that's nice about that is often at restaurants or at other things, you can't be as in control of that and don't need to be unless you have an allergy or something. Mm -hmm. So it it leaves room for that. And I love the idea with anything, with discipline, with screen time, that you teach what's the exception and what's the rule. And so the rule is we eat healthy and the exception can be, you know, where we don't have as much of a say in it, we're not going to freak out over it. Mm -hmm. And one last thing I want to say, and then we will wrap up. But for sure. With my picky eater, something I just happened onto, so I'm not giving myself any credit for okay. this other than it fell out of my mouth and seemed to work. Okay. I explained to them one day the difference between really not liking something and something not being your favorite but still being good for you. And I said, if something is like gross, like you actually gag when you eat it, I don't expect you to eat that. But there's going to be foods sometimes you eat because they're good for you. Like I said to them, you know, I eat a lot of salad. I'm not a huge fan of lettuce, but I eat it because it's really good for me. But I'm also not grossed out by lettuce. Mm -hmm. And that made a major change, especially for Rihanna. And I, just the other night, I'm, we grilled up some chicken with a marinade that she'd never tasted before. And she said, you know, mom, this isn't my favorite, but I'm going to eat it because it's got good protein in it. And it doesn't make me gag. So I think I can probably eat this tonight. And I was really proud of her because I think as adults, we do that, right? Like vegetables aren't every adult's favorite food, but we pile our plate with vegetables because yep. they're good for us. So what an important distinction, but it's also nice to clarify that it's not if it's 
because there are some things, even for me as an adult, that I just, I can't do it. And so to not force, because I think that would be another thing we would both agree. It's never about like clean your plate. You have Mm -hmm. to because some everybody has a different palate, even for textures. I know a lot of the issues for Sienna were really around texture, not taste. Mm -hmm. And so I wasn't going to have her eat things that felt so uncomfortable in her mouth. They were making her gag. Nobody wants to do that. So what a great distinction. It was an interesting insight for me into, oh, they're not picky because they're actually grossed out by everything. Mm -hmm. They're picky because they don't understand yet that. They currently th- were thinking that everything they put in their mouth should be the their favorite thing. It should thing. be delicious yeah. to them. And it was really eye-opening to me, like, oh, that's what's going mm-hmm. on here. Okay, well, I can break that down for them. And it's been, I mean, I will say huge improvements in our house with the addition of pizza mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and with this additional thought. And then we also did, I know a lot of families do this, and, and it was with moderate success, but the no thank you bite. Um, so to just give it a try, yeah. but then if you really and don't that, care like, for it. And that like sort of worked. And then what we did was we actually changed gears at one point and I called it a consideration bite and I required two. And that's helped immensely too. I need you to at least consider this food and you're not going to just consider it by like sticking your tongue out and barely touching it. You have mm-hmm. to actually put a whole bite in your mouth and you have to do it twice because sometimes we don't like things right away. And then we give it another try and we go, hmm. Actually, maybe I like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and the consideration bite has helped immensely. Mm-hmm. So just a couple Well, little... an encouragement. It does get better. Like I'm able to say you're going to have a serving of vegetables before you have seconds of pasta or whatever. And as long as I know it's not a gross me out, gag me food, I know I can ask for that. And I do think that comes with time and maturity too. But what a great way to handle it in the meantime. We're going to give it a try. Mm-hmm. We're going to give it another try. But it is okay at the end of the day. If it's a super no, they can say no. Yeah. I think there has to be some room for that. There's so few things younger kids can control. And one of them is what they put in their mouths. And so I think it is also a one to be careful about because it can be a battleground. Mm-hmm. We don't want that. Well, and I want to be perfectly clear that for all of my own horn tooting that I've done today, um, <laughs> that that it has been a battleground for us, food specifically mm-hmm. and trying new foods. And I have really, really hated that. Um, and so moving in this direction of trying to let some of that go and shift some of that a little bit has has been really really important for mm-hmm. us. Um, yeah. Yeah, that is a big deal. Well, I have a quote today and it's a lot about modeling, which we talk about. And I think even though today was nutrition, this could apply to other things. So just keep that in mind. And this is from Hannah Guari Ma. And it says, I believe that the best way to inspire a quality or even a habit in our kids is to cultivate it in ourselves. This means that parenting is a constant journey of learning and growth, of looking outward toward my children to see the areas in which I need to work on improving myself. Mm -hmm. Ain't that the truth? Parenting is kind of like holding up a big full-length mirror to your own ish. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. Well, we hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you have any questions and you want to write in, you know we love doing those spin cycles. Info at futurefocusedparenting.com. You can find more information on us on that website. And don't forget to rate and review the podcast. We're so grateful for those. And follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Raising Adults Podcast or at Future Focused Parenting. Raising Adults is produced by Kira Dorian and Dina Thayer and recorded in my laundry room. Music by Seattle band Hannah Lee. Thanks for listening.